Well, good morning, Seven Mile Road. I want to begin this morning by asking you to think of someone who has made a lasting mark on history. And maybe you're sitting here with your Bible open, and so the first person that comes to mind, and rightly so, is our Lord Jesus. Or maybe you think about the Apostle Paul. Or maybe you think about some world leader who impacted human history for good. Or maybe you're like me and you think about your favorite athlete who broke some world record or accomplished something, won some championship, and you think that person made a lasting mark on history. But regardless of who comes to mind for you, I can say with great confidence, if you can show me someone who has made a lasting impact on history, I can show you someone who was focused, who was faithful to their cause, who was courageous, and who did not accomplish that on their own. We've been in a series journeying through the book of Nehemiah that we've entitled, A Time to Rebuild. And what we're doing in this series is we're tracking along with Nehemiah as as he lived into this God-given burden, this divine burden that God put on his heart back in Nehemiah chapter 1. And as we've gone on this journey with him, for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of peace, was broken down and in chaos. And that burden was so great for Nehemiah that he rallied people to be a part of the rebuilding work. And yet he did so with great opposition from his enemies. He persevered through great opposition that we heard about just a couple weeks ago in Nehemiah chapter 4. And today, in Nehemiah chapter 6, what we are going to see is how he completed the task. What did it require of Nehemiah and the builders to complete the task? And so as we're diving into that question, I want you to be mindful of what is the divine burden that God has been placing on your heart as you've been tracking with us these past six weeks? What is the wall that the Lord is calling you to rebuild? What is your primary calling? And what will it require for you to complete the task, to persevere to the end? What we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 6 today is that completing the task that the Lord has entrusted to us requires focus amidst distraction. It requires faithfulness amidst deception. And finally, it's going to require fellow workers who fear God. So let's dive into Nehemiah chapter 6 and see this. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. 
And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Did you see Nehemiah's focus in this passage? As his enemies are coming out at him time after time, five different times, requesting that he come down from the wall, that he stop working and come down to meet with them, Nehemiah would not be deterred. Did you catch kind of the desperation from Nehemiah's enemies? They see in verse 1, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they hear that the wall has been built and they're completing the final phase of the project. There's no breaches left. All they have left to do is set up the doors and the gates, according to verse 1. And so what did Nehemiah's enemies do in verse 2? They, they sent to Nehemiah saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah knows that they intended to do him harm. You see the strategy of the enemies. They see that Nehemiah and his team are about to complete the work. And they think to themselves, the only way that we can stop this work from being completed is if we distract him. We have to get Nehemiah down from that wall. They say, come and meet us in Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. Interestingly, that word Hakafarim, the, the root word there is the word for lions. So his enemies say, come and meet us in the place of lions, in the plain of oh no. I mean, this is like that moment in your favorite Disney movie when you're kind of sitting on the edge of your seat because you know that it is ominous. It's dangerous for the main character. In my house, we love watching Finding Nemo right now. And so my boys love the part when... Uh, Nemo's dad, Marlin and Dory, are starting their journey to go rescue Nemo, and they come face to face with a great white shark named Bruce. And Bruce invites them to come to a little get together. And everything inside of you as the viewer is saying, whatever you do, do not go to the shark's get together with his buddies. And if you've seen the movie, you know that that scene ends with Bruce, the great white shark, saying, I'm having fish tonight. Uh, That is what's happening right here. This is, this is dangerous, and Nehemiah knows it. He says, I cannot come down from the work of the Lord to meet with my enemies in this dangerous place. And did you see his response in verse 3? Catch his focus here. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? The, the word that he uses for leave it is the same word that he's going to use in verse 9. Knowing that what the enemies want is they want to frighten him and they want his hands to drop from the work. That word drop is the same word for leave. It's the word to let go, for your hands to grow slack, to release your grip on the Lord's work. So can I ask you, what are the distractions in your life right now that the enemy is using to try to get you to let go of the Lord's work? I mean, some of us started the year 2020 with great ambitions to spend regular, unhurried time with the Lord, to spend time in His Word, time in prayer. We, we have, maybe you have a list of people that you're praying for consistently, 
We hope that you have a list of folks that you love who don't have a relationship with Jesus and you are praying that they would come to trust in him. And if you're anything like me, this has been a year where the enemy has used distractions to pull us away from the work. Did you know that the average American looks at their smartphone 96 times per day? That's once every 10 minutes. Talk about a tool in the enemy's hands for distraction. You wake up in the morning, you try to spend time with the Lord, but your phone is screaming at you saying, check your email, check your text messages, check this news article. And yet what we see from Nehemiah is he says, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. I cannot be distracted from it. The work is too great. My Lord is so worthy that I will not be taken away from this. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul. What he says, his focus for his life in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the work and complete the task that God has given me to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, can I ask you, are you focused on your primary calling to know God and to make him known, to follow Jesus and allow him to make you become fishers of men and women? Have you been distracted from that? Have you been pulled away from the wall? Moms and dads, have you been pulled away from the work of discipling your children into affection for Jesus? Don't come down from that wall. You are doing a great work. And so did you see what the enemy does next? He sees that Nehemiah cannot be distracted. And so he keeps sending to him time after time, four times according to verse 4. But then the fifth time, Sanballat changes his tactics. He sends an open letter. He says, okay, Nehemiah, if you won't be distracted by persistent meeting requests to come down and meet with me, then I'll just put your reputation on the line. I'm going to send an open letter. If you're not going to respond to my direct, um, to my direct invitation the way that I want you to, how about I post it on the wall so everyone can read that what you are doing here is you're actually intending to rebel. The enemy says, if I slander Nehemiah, maybe that will persuade him to come down and meet with me, that this would stop. And he, he also says, Nehemiah, what's going to happen is the king's going to hear about this. And you know the way that Persia deals with, with rebels, with traitors? This is not going to go well for you or any of these people. He's trying to frighten Nehemiah and the workers. And Nehemiah's response is direct. In verse 8, he says, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Nehemiah says no to distractions because he's doing a great work. Even when his reputation is on the line, he's not concerned with his reputation. He's concerned with God's glory, and so he perseveres in the work. Do you have this type of focus on the gospel work that God's calling you to? And loving your neighbors and being a part of rebuilding the relational connection in your neighborhood to the glory of God. Do you have this type of focus in your workplace that you are placed in your workplace to be a witness for Jesus? Or have you been distracted by the enemy's persistent meeting requests? I want to direct our attention briefly before we move on from this point. In verses 17 through 19, there's more letters that are sent. So we know of at least five letters that the enemies have sent up to this point. But then in verse 17, 
It says, In those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. And skipping down to verse 19, These nobles spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Tobiah was another influential person in Jerusalem at this time. He was an Ammonite who through intermarriage had become an influential person that, that, um, that had power in that society. And he's trying to intimidate Nehemiah. And so I want us to feel that what the enemy will do is he will try to distract you by persistent requests to just come away from meeting with God and from being about his work. And he will put your reputation at stake if that's what it takes to distract you. Maybe you have intended to be a witness for Jesus in your workplace. But you feel the pressure that if I align with Jesus, all of these things are going to be said slanderously about me. If I align with Jesus, if I speak up about him, I'm going to lose the favor of this influential person, that influential person. Do you see that, they, that the enemy wants to frighten you so that your hands will grow slack, that you'll let go? of this work of gospel ministry that God's called you to. But look at Nehemiah's response. Look at how he perseveres in verse 9. It's how we will persevere as well. It's how we will keep our focus. He says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. We've seen it all throughout the book up until this point. Charles Spurgeon once said, I always feel it well to put just a few words of prayer between everything I do. And that's what we see from Nehemiah here. And he remains focused amidst distraction. That's how he completes the task. And so will we. But let's move on. That's not all that we see here. In verses 10 through 14, we see that completing the task requires faithfulness amidst deception. Look back with me, starting in verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who is confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Did you catch it in this section? The enemy changes tactics yet again. They hire a false prophet named Shemaiah. And their attempt is to deceive Nehemiah into sinning against God, breaking the law of God in order to taunt him. They change their strategy. Nehemiah, if you refuse to be distracted... If you refuse to be concerned with your own reputation, we will do our best to ruin your reputation for you. We are going to provide a deception here that you would violate your integrity, that you would lose your spiritual authority in front of these people. And so the work would stop. So the people would be discouraged, that their hands would grow slack, and that the work would not be completed. Shemaiah in verse 10 was confined to his home, most likely due to a ceremonial uncleanness. 
and he invites Nehemiah to meet in the house of God within the temple, which was contrary to the law of God. Nehemiah was not a priest, and he was not allowed to to go in the temple like this. Another king in Israel's history had done this and uh, broke out into leprosy because he sinned against God because of his pride and arrogance of saying, I can do whatever I want. And what Nehemiah um, refuses to fall prey to here is fear of man. This, This false prophet Shemaiah says, they're coming to kill you. Your life is on the line, Nehemiah. Come and hide. I know the law of God says that, but disregard that. You have to take matters into your own hands. You have to protect yourself. Come and hide in the temple. Did you see Nehemiah's response? Did you see his faithfulness in verse 11? He said, should such a man as I run away? And picture Nehemiah with sword in one hand and trowel in the other hand, working on the wall day and night, sleeping in his work clothes for 52 days. And he looks at Shemaiah and says, I am not scared of my enemies because I fear the Lord. I'm not going to act cowardly in this way and run away. But do you see what's undergirding that strength? Look at his next question in verse 11. And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Nehemiah's second question reveals that it's actually humility that undergirds his courage. It's the fear of the Lord that allows him to be courageous before men. What what Nehemiah is saying here is, I revere the God of heaven, and so I have no fear of man. I trust that God will provide for me, that he will protect me, and I will not sin against my God in this way. And in verse 12, Nehemiah says, I understood and saw that God had not sent him. I understood and saw that God had not sent him. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to complete the task, the gospel work that God has called us to, It's going to require focus amidst distraction, but it's going to require faithfulness amidst deception. We must be able to discern the truth from lies. Nehemiah knows here that God will never counsel me against his word. That the Spirit of God will never lead me contrary to the word of God. Because the way that this book was written according to 2 Peter 1, is that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Nehemiah sees right through the deception here because this person is claiming to speak from God but is speaking contrary to the Word of God. It's like the, uh, it's like the, the treasury agents and government officials that can discern counterfeit money. Have you heard this before? The way that they know whether money is fake, it's not actually by studying all the different types of counterfeiting. It's by studying the real thing. They know how a dollar bill looks and feels, and they immediately know this is not the real thing. And same with Nehemiah. He's so soaked in the Word of God. He stored up the Word of God in his heart that he might not sin against him. And that is how we will persevere as well. Can I ask you, where is the enemy deceiving you? I mean, the enemies of your soul, the world, our flesh, and the devil, according to Ephesians 2, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, according to 1 Peter 5. And where is he deceiving you right now? Is this not the way that temptation works in our life? Is this not the way that sexual sin 
and pornography creeps into our life, the way that marital infidelity works, the way that um, financial malfeasance at work, or even just the love of money, or even just the, the unwillingness to partner with the Lord in His work financially, it's based on fear and deception. It's based on this lie that you have to look out for yourself, Nehemiah. I know the law of God says that, but you have to take things into your own hands. Break the law of God in order to preserve yourself. That's how sin works in our lives. And we must have the discernment, the faithfulness, rooted in the Word of God, that we would have integrity between what we say and what we do. And that happens. It happens through time in this book, and it happens through prayer. Do you see what Nehemiah says to conclude this section in verse 14? He knows from the previous verse, that they wanted to make him afraid and act in this way and sin in order that they could give him a bad name in order to taunt him. And that's what the enemy wants to do to you and me. But he says in verse 14, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. He says, God, I entrust judgment to you. I know that you sit on the throne. Rather than me being caught up in this and being frustrated and angry, I'm saying, God, you Um, You have to take care of this. I'm going to deal with this in your presence. You remember what happened here and strengthen my hands. And so the way that we will complete the task is by focus amidst distraction and faithfulness amidst deception. But not only that, it's by fellow workers who fear God. Would you read with me in chapter 7 verses 1 through 4? It says, Now when the wall had been built... And I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And so this section right here points us back to verses 15 and 16 that say the wall was finished in 52 days. In under two months, Nehemiah and the builders got it done. The result is that rather than Nehemiah and the workers being afraid, verse 16 tells us that The enemies were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Do you see that this was not a work that Nehemiah did alone? He labored alongside fellow workers to the glory of God. The result is that the wall was finished. It was completed. That word for finished is the word shalem. It's the same word used in the, in the, the name of the city, Jerusalem. It's the word for peace. The same root is shalom. The place that had been broken down with no peace has now been restored to a place of peace. And the way that Nehemiah did it, the way that he completed the task, is the same way that you and I will. It is with the help of fellow workers who fear God. In verse 1, Nehemiah sets up, um, after the doors and, and the gates are, and the walls are set up, he sets up, appoints gatekeepers, singers, and Levites. But not only that, did you catch the names of these two in verse 2? His brother, Hanani, 
and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, he gave them charge over Jerusalem. Now, Hananiah, he introduces with this statement. He was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. That's the qualification for being appointed to leadership in Nehemiah's book. That's the qualification for being entrusted with the work of, of, complete, of completing and protecting the wall. But Hananiah, his brother, needs no introduction from Nehemiah. Because if you'll remember back in chapter 1, verse 2, who was it that came to Nehemiah with the initial report? Back when he was all the way in Persia, in the king's presence, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 says, It was Hananiah, one of my brothers, who came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Do you see that Hananiah had been there with Nehemiah from the very beginning, from before day one? I mean, he was there. He was the one that God used to help form this vision in Nehemiah's heart. He was the one that God used to help stir up this passion in Nehemiah, to help stir up this divine burden. As Nehemiah wept and prayed to the God of heaven for days and planned, how are we going to be a part of rebuilding this wall? Do you see that Nehemiah does not accomplish this work alone? And he doesn't, he doesn't finish this work alone. He has faithful friends and fellow workers who have been in it with him. And I want to ask you this. I want to ask you, who are the Hananiahs in your life, in your story, that God has used to form this passion in you, this divine burden? Who are the people that God has used you to be like Hananiah in their story? I mean, think about this. Think about the bond that was formed between Nehemiah and Hananiah as they stood there, trowel in one hand, sword in the other hand, for 52 days laboring on this wall. Think of that friendship, of that bond. Who are the people in your life that have that place? Are you still faithfully journeying alongside them? Are you including them on the work that the Lord has called you to? And you might be like many of us saying, this has been a year that's been incredibly lonely. I don't have any Hananiahs in my life right now. Can I just charge you? You cannot complete the task alone. It will not be done. And we hope and pray that, that you that you jump into a house church if you don't yet have a house church. And if you do, that you would say, I'm going to commit to these people because we are on um, this, this noble mission from God together, this divine burden that God has placed on, on all of our hearts as a church family to embody and declare God's redemptive story to every Houstonian. And each one of you has a personalized expression of what that looks like in your home and in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in your life. And let me just tell you, you will not complete the task without fellow workers who fear God, who are in it with you. And so would you even now ask the Lord to provide these types of brothers and sisters who will journey alongside you? And if you are sitting here today saying, Michael, I hear you. I hear you saying that completing the task of, of the gospel ministry God's called me to requires focus amidst distraction and faithfulness amidst deception and fellow workers who fear God. But honestly, I've been really distracted and I've been deceived and fallen into sin. 
and, and I feel really alone. I feel like I've been trying to do this thing all by myself. How am I going to complete the task? Can I just tell you this? The way that we will persevere is by looking to the greater Nehemiah. Even as this Nehemiah said the wall was finished in 52 days, the truer and greater Nehemiah, our Lord Jesus, came into the same Jerusalem. And he died on the cross for us. And from the cross, he said, it is finished. The work of reconciling humanity back to God is finished. It's complete. Jesus was perfectly focused on his father's work. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He would not be deterred from that task. Jesus was perfectly faithful amidst deception. The enemy came at him time and again, and Jesus each time said, it is written. He had stored up the word of God in his heart that he might not sin against his father. He obeyed in all the places where we have failed. And Jesus was rejected and abandoned by his friends in order to be for us the truest friend. He was left all alone and he endured the wrath of God towards sin so that anyone who trusts in him could be forgiven and reconciled back to God. Do you see that Jesus willingly went to the place of greatest danger? He was delivered into the, the valley of oh no. I mean, he went to the place of greatest trouble so that you and I wouldn't have to, so that we would be eternally safe. That God, through Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities, all of the enemies of our soul, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. If you have never trusted in Jesus, would you put your faith in Him? Would you trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins? And if you know Him, would you look to Him and allow His love to be what motivates you to complete the task? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, will we thank You that, that You are with us in the midst of the distraction and the deception in our moments of loneliness. Thank you, Jesus, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you went to the place of greatest trouble, that you willingly laid down your life for us, Lord, and that you rose again victorious. And so we just say, Lord, all of our hope is in you. Would you fill us with your love that would motivate us to be finishers, to complete the task? Oh God, don't let our hands drop from the work. Help us to persevere for your glory and the good of our city. In Jesus' name, amen.